Pretz, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 9 of the Blackhawks Ringcast, coming to you live from the Buck Hockey Studios and brought to you by Buck Hockey, our founding and official sponsor since 2017. Head over to PUCKHCKY.com and check out the latest in hockey themed apparel and gear. Use that T-H-E-R-I-N-K discount code for 10% off. Really cool stuff. Um, NHL player, um, signature lines, metal bands, um, just really good. Snoop Dogg has its own line with puck hockey. Um, really cool stuff. It's beautifully designed, very well made, very, very high quality products. Um, I am rocking a puck hockey hat this evening. Um, and by the way, I am your host, John Jekyll, better known across the interweb, interwebs as JJ or that Jekyll guy. Um, joining me tonight are the usual suspects and starting from the top, Sean Fitzgerald, the blogger to be named later. Good evening, everyone. Uh, tonight is also part of the Brent Seabrook collection with the plaid on the brim. And on the back, it has the three championship years he was a part of. So nice. more, like more uh, Brent Seabrook collection hats like and the traditional, obviously, logo and gray. Nice. Very well done, Sean. You're, you're you. always rocking a different lid and, and uh, we're, we're always impressed as far as you know. Thank you. Um, yeah. Also joining us tonight after a brief hiatus, um, the one and only the celebrated Ray Nepientek. Ray, what's happening? Nothing much. Glad to be back. I think I bought this hat at the United Center overpriced, um, probably because my head was cold. So I've got no good story behind it, but that's all I got. Right. That's a good story. It's a good story. And last but certainly not least, our uh, representative from the East Coast, um, the uh, graduate of Middlebury College, um, apparently did not major in math, so we're really screwed tonight. Um, but he knows a little bit about hockey. Um, Andy Campbell. Yeah, good to be back. Um, I do not have a hat, but my hair product uh, keeps uh, keeps me in pretty good form up top. So I hope I hope you all like what you see. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's uh, it's top notch. Good stuff. Elite. Um, so guys, tonight we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna broaden out a little bit. We're going to talk briefly about the Hawks tonight, but then we're going to spend the bulk of the show delving into a couple of bigger NHL topics. Uh, the second of which is going to come back around to the beloved Blackhawks. First, we're going to talk about the forced retirement of Tim Peel from NHL officiating and what that means. I think we're going to have a very robust conversation on that topic. I know I have some opinions on that, um, and I'm sure you guys do too. Second, we're going to go ahead on against a topic that year after year um, I see in, on the Twitters, um, you know, various other places, um, you know, and Hawk fans always seem to be divided about this. You, you kind of have a, an older generation of fans that have a certain opinion about it, of which I belong to. And then you have a younger generation of fans that have a different opinion about it. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding around this that's out there. And I think we're going to try to clarify that tonight and clear, you know, just clear a lot of it up, set it to set it to rest. And that's the role of physicality in the NHL. Um, you know, the Hawks have been sort of a, a Jekyll and Hyde, um, pardon the pun, um, the last few games with regard to physicality. And they've had different results um, depending upon how physically they've played or, or how physically they've been played. And we're going to, we're going to touch on that and really try to clarify some of the stuff that's out there um, around that. There's some misinformation. Um, I think anyway, about it that will hopefully clear up. Um, and then we have at the end, I think we have at least one question and um, you know, we'll, we'll wrap it up at that point. So 
Let's start uh, talking about the Hawks. Um, you know, they, uh, they're sort of, in my, you know, it seems they're sort of, um, like I said, Jekyll and Hyde, they had a, they got really pushed around down in Tampa Bay, kind of, kind of beaten up and humiliated. And then they came back home against Florida and uh, they kind of pushed the, the Panthers around a little bit and they won a couple of games. And, uh, um, you know, t- uh, now again, last night versus Nashville, a team they really should beat on home ice. They kind of, they kind of came up short. So, uh, we'll just we'll send it around and talk about you know uh, opinions on on the Hawks and don't get too deep into the whole physicality non physicality thing because we're gonna we're gonna really dive into that later. So why don't we start it off with Ray, with Ray since you've been gone for a while? What do you think about uh, the state of the Hawks here? They're kind of just that middle ground. You know, you could see where they're outclassed against Tampa. Uh, I was shocked to see them you know take two from Florida. I think uh, you know Lankinen you know really won that game for him. I mean, 41 save, uh, you know, appearance that, and then Nashville, they kind of just allow you to sleep. And I, and I think if, you know, the Hawks, you know, the, uh, of yesteryear, they were able to beat a team like that where you're able to kind of put you to sleep, but then you just stay with what you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, I don't think this team has that type of depth where if it's not a, a, a Kane or the Brinkett against Nashville, um, you know, where they're just kind of, you know, tying up the center ice and, and, and playing tough in the corners in front of the net, it's tough for them. And, and Tampa, I mean, they're, they're just outclassed there. You know, there's no surprise. So for me, you know, last night you're going to have games like this. It'll be interesting to see their bounce back tonight, which will tell you a lot about this hockey team if they come out and, you know, win a game after putting up a sneaker like yesterday. But, um, you know, for me, beating Florida was, was nice to see. I mean, it, it's something that you know, they're a 500 hockey team, you know, any way you put it, you know, I always put out, I put out there on Twitter, what the real record is, you know, what that, that loser point. But, um, you know, for me, that that's the type of team you're going to see who you're going to see them play 500 hockey. Good stuff. So uh, just going across the top of my monitor right now, Sean, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, they definitely were outclassed by Tampa. I was shocked how well they played against Florida, but let's not discount that Nashville's won four in a row including last night. So Nashville's building some momentum. They've been playing well as of late. So I wouldn't discredit that. Um, Nashville might, everybody gets hot at some point during the season and you should run off a few wins just might be Nashville's time. Um, And the Hawks currently are only two points ahead of Nashville, I believe in the the hunt for the last playoff spot. So um, they're like Ray said, they're a middling team, middle of the road, but I think, if they, I'm, I think Nashville's going to supplant them, and I think Nashville's going to keep winning. So I think we're we're finally seeing the Blackhawks team we envisioned when the year began. I think the Blackhawks got fat off the Detroit's of the world and an underachieving Columbus team and underachieving Dallas team. So that's what I think on that. Cool, Andy. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that's already been said. I, I think Nashville's red hot right now. Um, and I mean, they and they dominated the Hawks. I mean, the, the score was 3-1, but they completely outplayed them uh, last night. And, um, you know, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't count Dallas out yet either. I mean, I think that, you know, the vibe that, that we were talking about, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago was, well, maybe the Hawks will get that last spot because who's going to catch them? Nashville or Dallas could very easily do it. Um, and I, I think Dallas certainly has the talent. They've been playing a lot of really good hockey lately too. So, um, yeah, I don't know. They are kind of, and again, I mean, they're, they go as Kane and Debrinkit go really. 
Um, and that's kind of the secondary scoring hasn't, hasn't really been huge for them. Um, you know, Pia Suter's had a nice, a nice little go. And, but I mean, he's centering those two right now. And so, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think his life is too difficult. Right. Um, in that sense, you know, Kershev has really slowed down. Um, you know, I, he looks tired and I don't know if it was, you know, playing, you know, playing in the beginning of year in, in Switzerland or where he was and, and playing another level. I mean, he, he showed up with a jump in his step. He looked like he'd been playing a lot longer than the guys that had just got on the ice. And now it looks like it's caught up to him a little bit. Um, so yeah, I just think that they, you know, I, they're in a decent spot considering where the organization is. They might be competing for a playoff spot. I think we're, I think with two weeks to go in the season, when they hit that spot, they'll all of a sudden be on the outside looking in and there won't be any getting back. Hmm. If I had to, I don't know, prognosticate for that, but yeah, I think they're going to get caught unfortunately. And, um, you know, with that, I, I do hope they, they do a few minor shakeups before the deadline. It would be nice to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, I, I hear everything you guys are saying. I, I agree across the board. It's interesting about Nashville because I remember the, earlier in the year, nobody seemed to be really taking them seriously as a team that could be in contention for a playoff spot. But, um, you know, they're, they've been a pretty competitive team for the last five years and including a, a trip to the Stanley Cup finals. And, a lot of those players that were on that team are still there. Um, you know, Yossi and Johansson and, and uh, you know, they've got a really deep blue line and, you know, Rene is the, you know, the bloom has kind of come off that rose, but he's still this, you know, six foot five, technically very sound goalie. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I agree. Nashville seems like a team that could bump the Hawks out Dallas again, you know, and without Tyler Sagan, I don't think he's back yet. And uh um, you know, but Dallas, you know, they've got, they've got all the, those veterans and they've got size and, and, uh, you know, they, and they've got games at hand too. So that's, and then, you know, I thought Columbus for a while looked like they were going to be the team that was going to surge. And then they, you know, dropped two to Detroit. So I don't know about Columbus. They just, they seem like, you know, very schizophrenic this year. And, um, so we'll see, I mean, uh, but I think, and the, I mean, I think there's teams are kind of have a book on playing the Hawks now, which is, you know, jam up the neutral zone. And, and when you, when they get in the offensive zone, just try to plaster their, their skill forwards to the boards and, and uh, just body them and muscle them. And, and I, I think it's working to a degree, you know um, and, you know, we'll see if they have any answers for it, which takes me to the next sort of mini topic. We'll go through this really fast. Um, first impressions on Kirby doc um, last night, his, his first game back 20 minutes time on ice. He was minus one. Uh, 45% in the faceoff dot. What, what did you guys think, uh, Andy? Yeah, I mean, he had a little jump in his step. It was good to see him in the lineup. He had that nice move in the beginning of the game where, you know, he dangled the defenseman. I forgot who the D-man was and, and got to the net, and that would have been really fun to see him put it away. You know, I think in, when he went into the boards, I remember there was one time in the second period watching him go into the boards with a little hesitancy, and he almost, uh, instead of reaching for the puck, he pulled his arms back a little bit. And, and almost cushion the blow into the glass instead of going to try to win the puck right away. And, you know, maybe I'm reading into this way too much, but that could just be a, a little, a little gun shy coming off of a wrist injury. Um, but either way, having him back in the lineup, having his, his presence there is good. I hope he has a big night tonight. Um, he's still a very good skater and you can tell, I mean, he's, you know, he's, you know, we've said this before, but he's obviously playing at the right level right now. And, um, you know, it's, it's good to see him back. I hope he has a, I hope he has a good stretch here and starts pumping in a few goals. That'd be great. Yeah. 
Sean, what do you think? Yeah, like Andy said, he had some jump to start the game. That was a really nice move, and I was excited. I just question the timing of it. Um, I believe he, uh, Kirby Doc said it in the intermission that his wrist still hurts and he's not 100%. And I just, if, if the goal is the future and everything like that, why are you risking your best young player on a season that may – may not matter. It doesn't matter in the long-term scheme of things. If you are quote unquote rebuilding, was it good to see Kirby doc back on the ice? Of course it was. He's your 20 year old center third overall pick. Like he was, he's what you're hopefully going to be centering Kane and to bring it for years to come. But if he's going to be doing that wrist injuries are tricky too. They don't heal. Sometimes it takes longer to heal. I, I just question the motive of, like he's 20 years old. Of course, he's going to want to get back on the ice. He wants to prove something, you know, he wants to be there for his guys. I think that's when Colleton or Stan Bowman is going to be, look, we're going to, we're going to have you sit longer. Like you can skate with the guys during practice, but you're not getting in games until we're, we're 100%. You have no pain in that wrist. So he doesn't go into the boards and have that gun shyness and stuff like that because he's still dealing with pain. That's a, that's a good comment. Uh, Ray, what do you think? I think having his presence definitely does help. I think, you know, from a development standpoint, if he's ready to go, um, you know, that's always tough. I mean, when you're, when you're talking with team doctors and trainers and, you know, you're talking with the head coach and general manager and they decide he's, he's ready to go, um, you know, they know more than we do. But it was something that I thought like, hey, if he can't go, you know, hey, we're, you know, let's not rush a, a kid that's going to get banged up. But, you know, if everybody's on, on the same page, it sounds like in the organization, you know, he's, he's paid to play hockey, you know, and it's going to help his development. You know, if he were to sit a whole year, now his second year is, is officially next year. Could you have gotten 20, 30 games out of him? He doesn't get hurt. He develops. He pushes everybody down, except for maybe Kane, Debrinket, Kubelik. You know, he pushes all those other forwards down that were maybe getting some more ice time that way. Um, so from a development standpoint, you know, if he's ready to go, he's ready to go. And, and, and I think this can be a big you know, 25, 30 games in his development to show that, you know, and, and like Andy said, Hey, is he going into the corners going in front of the net? You know, he takes a slash. How's that wrist, you know, after a couple of weeks of taking face-offs, how's that wrist, you know, if, from a mental standpoint, if he could get over that, that's going to be a big thing for next year then. So it's tough to say, cause you're just not in those conversations. You don't know everything that that's going on. You know what he says in the media, um, you know, as a young kid, but you know, this could be a big, big thing for his development moving forward. Yeah. I, uh, I say this as somebody who is probably on the extreme of being skeptical about the Hawks marketing, driving their on ice decisions. And, um, but I, I will say this, I, I have to think that it's a 99%, maybe 95% likelihood that the team doctors have given the okay um, for him to be able to play without risk of re-injury or without elevated risk of re-injury. Um, all that said, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of things in a hockey game that can stress a wrist or, or injure a wrist, um, going into the boards, uh, face-offs, um, slashes, et cetera. And the, the thing, of, thing of it is, and I agree with you, Ray, you don't want them to lose a whole year. Um, so maybe it's a calculated, um, I wouldn't say risk, but it's maybe a calculated decision for them to, to bring him back now. Um, but I will say if, if, if the, if something bad happens and he does re-injure the wrist, 
um, somebody, somebody's career is going to take a hit over it and not just Kirby doc. Um, because somebody's going to be held accountable for that, um, that decision that go ahead to put him back on the ice this soon. Um, so we'll see, but chances are that won't happen. Um, and he'll be fine. Um, and, uh, he'll be better for it. So, um, anyway, but, uh, I think there's a risk involved in it. I do. I just don't know how big the risk is because I'm not his doctor, but, uh, just based upon what's been said that it still hurts. Um, the fact that he, he's playing, playing ostensibly center in the NHL, where, you know, I mean, the risks, the risks probably of centers are, are more important and probably more at risk um, than probably any other position um, in some ways. And, and uh, so we'll see. I don't know. So we're going to pivot now. We're going to talk about we're going to move on to NHL officiating and this interesting saga of Tim Peel, who has always been a little bit of a controversial ref. Um, my opinion, he's always been one of those refs who kind of uh, – makes himself very important in the flow of a game or a playoff series. And um, I'm not going to go too deep into that because that's going to be my, my broader comment on it. But um, so Peel was asked to uh, resign or asked to leave <laughs> NHL officiating because he was heard on a hot mic talking about giving a team a make good penalty. Um, and uh, that's a, it's just really interesting that that happened and he was fired for it. Um, in light of the fact that everybody knows this has gone on in the league, no secret for a long, long time. Um, so let's, let's talk about it. Let's go, let's go back through Sean. What do you think about this Tim Peel uh, dismissal and, and what does it mean with regard to NHL officiating past, present and future? So I think it happens in every, not just the NHL. I think it happens in every sport. Um, it's just, un, I guess it's unfortunate for Tim Peel that he was the one who got caught talking about it we there's makeup calls all the time i i think what's going to happen for nhl officials is they're going to be under higher scrutiny now especially because of what peel essentially said like there's unwritten rules in sports that they're unwritten because you don't want to talk about them you don't want them in the public eye and now everyone's going to be and if cognizant of every call that everybody there might be new challenge rule like this could spur all kinds of change and piggybacking um i guess connecting it maybe to another official from another sport tom donahue of the nba has been doing the interview circuit 2019 when he did the betting scandal and how he was rigging games in that regard so that might not be too far out of people's minds officials making calls officials changing the outcomes of games because of vendettas, makeup calls. It's, it opens a whole can of worms and it's, I don't think it's good for the NHL. I don't, it's not good for professional sports in general, but it's definitely not good for the NHL right now. Andy, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree, Sean, I completely agree. I think Pandora's box has somewhat been open now. Um, and, and it's interesting. What is, what does the NHL, you know, do from here as far as, I mean, I, I guess they're, you know, the, the comments we hear, were, you know, keeping the integrity of the game. And I think that, that it, that's, that's such a linear thought when they're talking about the integrity of the game and they're only talking about a referee making a comment on, on a hot mic with a makeup call where, you know, you know, today Tom Wilson scores two goals. You know, he's back. Brandon Carlo is still not back from injury yet. Um, we're talking about integrity of the game. You know, I mean, we have incidents with Andrew Shaw, uh, five years ago with homophobic slurs, you know, it happened with Wayne Simmons when he said something to Sean Avery about 10 years ago. 
Um, and, you know, those are things that are, well, you say an apology, you make a small donation and onward you go. And for the NHL to, to kind of step up here and almost act shocked that this would happen, right. is, it, it seems like that's preying on some very infantile or, or just like the, you know, just hockey fans that, I don't know. I, I just think it's, it's, it's trying to show the hockey world that we're really on top of this. And, and I, I, I almost feel like they're picking the wrong battle um in in a sense and i just don't you know and, and it's also something very easy to do knowing that tim peel is retiring at the end of the year i mean that's just an easy out just say okay let's just we can get rid of the problem right here and he's leaving anyway no big deal you know and um i don't know i think it, there was someone on twitter uh reference the firing of tim peel was the nhl's makeup call and, uh, and I think that that was one of the more accurate things we've read. Cause I think that if they're, if they're saying the integrity of the game, they need to go a lot bigger than that then. And it needs to be around player behavior. Um, you know, both, both verbal, like we said, with, with any homophobic or racist slurs um, and, and as well as on ice behavior, like we've been talking about with Tom Wilson, if you're going to talk integrity, you need to throw the book at everybody for everything. This can't yeah. just be a Tim Peel officiating thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. What do you think, Ray? From an on-ice product, I can't stand uh, that officials in any sport, but we're talking hockey, have to come up with makeup calls or at the end of the day, uh, man, one team got six power plays, the other team only got one. How did we end up doing that? Well, maybe the other team had five more penalties, you know, stuff along those lines. I can't stand that. It happens in every sport. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, hey, they had 18 fouls and the four. Now look at it, it's 18, 14, oh, you know, 19, four. We've, you know, I, I can't stand that, you know, from an on ice thing. And same thing when you go into the playoffs and the whistles uh, swallowed and, you know, we don't want to be the, the referee uh, doesn't want to make the be the deciding factor. Well, he's not the deciding factor. If somebody cross checks somebody or runs them into the boards and it, and it should be a two minute you know, penalty, but it's game for the playoffs, you know, stuff along those lines. If you, if you create a penalty uh, from an offensive standpoint or where, however you do it, it should be a penalty. Um, I, I hate that they, they feel like they always need to even up the score. And at the end of the day, we got to be as close as possible. Or if one team is out far ahead in power plays, you got to even that up. I can't stand that in any sport. Ray, you just, you took a lot of the words out of my mouth. I mean, I've always felt that way. And, and I, I, I do, while I do agree that, make good officiating is a phenomenon in, in all the major sports. I believe it is and has been worse in the NHL, perhaps than any other major sport, except perhaps the NBA. Um, and, you know, I've always felt like what it does is it, it takes, it makes officials like, like Tim Peel and before him, Bill McCreary, the, the most important part of the game and it shouldn't be them. Um, and the, the thing about it is, is I feel like, you know, there is, there is, the referees can have discretion, but the discretion shouldn't be make good calls when one team is flagrantly, uh, clutching and grabbing the whole night. Um, and, and they get called for it, which they should. And then, and then they've got to, you know, even it out by calling phantom stuff or ticky tack stuff on another, on the other team. I mean, Mike Babcock's teams for years have been coached that when the puck goes back the other way, you, you grab on to your, to your cover's jersey or you give him a little hook or something to slow him down so, you, so he doesn't go back the other way faster than you. They've been coached that. So how do you officiate 
in a make good scenario when one team is playing the game that way. And, you know, or you got teams like the old, um, gosh, you know, well, like you got Tom Wilson out there, you know, and you've got teams like, uh, like Boston, um, you know, these guys um, who, who play, you know, play a little bit of that, that, you know, after the whistle crap and cross checks and whatnot, you know, I, what I think where the, the ref's discretion is val is valuable is before the game, the refs get together and say, look, here's what we're going to call. Here's what we're not going to call as far as penalties and apply it evenly to both teams. And if one team gets six power plays and one gets one, so be it, Yeah. you know, because the bottom line is, is if you're applying the rules, the actual rules and calling the penalties fairly and evenly and objectively, then, then, you know, then the teams that break the rules are going to, are going to suffer. And Gates said, well, if you do that, then, you know, you're going to have millions of penalties every night. That's if you decide to call everything, you don't have to make that decision, but what you do have to do is make a decision of what you're going to call, what you're not going to call and apply it equally to both teams and then let the chips fall where they may. Um, and that, you know, that goes back to the playoff thing. It's, there is a different set of rules and different officiating in the playoffs versus the regular season. But one thing I like about the playoffs is the playoffs they, since they swallow the whistles, they tend not to do the make goods as much. Um, other than the other than the linesmen, there's right. nothing that makes my blood boil more than watching linesmen chuck people out of faceoffs, and and they're trying to audition for the Stanley Cup Finals by inserting themselves in playoff games. It's yeah. just ridiculous. The faceoffs they take five minutes to drop the puck because the linesmen need to feel important. Totally there's agree. a reason why we know referees' names. And that's, it's not a good reason. Right. <laughs> they insert themselves into the sport. Right. You know, in the NFL, like the only referee that anybody ever really talked about was that Ed Hockley. The Ed Hockley because of the Pythons. You know, the gun Python. show. Yeah. Like, you guys remember going to the old stadium. If there was a game where Don Koharski was announced as, oh. the, as the head referee. The, there was booze everywhere. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah, being, it was hugging him at dad. It's Koharski, it's Koharski. He was the guy that uh, Jim Schoenfeld said, have another donut, you fat pick. Yeah. Well, who, who was the referee that Tom Lysiak tripped in the 80s and he got like a 20-game suspension? <laughs> I think that was either Koharski or McCreary. Yeah, it was one of those two. But I remember – I can't – I've been looking on that for YouTube for years. Can't find it. But you can find a good article about Koharski get, or uh, Tom Lysiak getting fed up with a referee and just taking his legs out. Which, uh, yeah. I'm sure you so, have felt that before. <laughs> good topic, good discussion. Don't, don't do that, kids. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> good topic, good For all you good, all you young hockey fans. Yeah. <laughs> all you hockey, all you, you hockey fans. Got that call right though. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So yeah, I, I've never been. Tim Peel and Bill McCreary are probably over the last 15 years my least favorite referees for this reason, and. Uh, I, you know, you hate to see it happen to a guy right before he's going to retire, even though I'm not a Tim Peel fan. Um, you know, um, maybe, hopefully, the, the the league is now moving toward getting their act together on this and, and you know, reaching. It's just, it's it's one of those things like, you know, this is how it's always been. It's how we've, we've always done it. You know, that old boy bullshit in Toronto yeah. and at the league office. And um, I, I hopefully they're starting to move out of this and, and become a more professional um, organization overall, the league in terms of the officiating, and and uh, we'll see. Maybe not. Maybe this is just PR. <coughs> Excuse me. So, this leads to our next topic, um, and this is the big topic tonight. 
and uh, we're talking about uh, um, night buddy. We're talking <laughs> about um, uh, physicality in the NHL. The Blackhawks uh, really got pushed around versus Tampa Bay. Um, you know, Tampa Bay is a team that a lot of people have, I think, erroneously labeled as a non-physical finesse team. Um, but they're plenty physical enough and, and you don't, you know, win a Stanley cup without being a, a physical team anymore. You just don't. And they showed it against the Hawks when the Hawks were in Tampa last week or 10 days ago, whatever that was. And, um, you know, they really pushed the Hawks around the ice. Um, they kept them on the perimeter and they beat them soundly. Um, and I, it, I'm sure it had a lot to do with the skill differential between the two teams, but I think it had something to do with the styles of play too. And, and Tampa kind of having a book on the Hawks now on how to play them. Because this is how St. Louis has played the Hawks the last few years, too. Um, and, um, you know, then the Hawks come back to, to Chicago and uh, they get real physical. With and Nikita Zadorov does apparently what he was what tra traded for and, you know, throws a textbook clean hit at the, at the blue line on, um, uh, gosh, what's his name? Hornquist. Um, the Swedish guy. What's his name? Thank you. And um, basic, basically, you know, and I'll, I'll say what I think about that and what that means in a hockey game. And I'm gonna let you guys talk about it. But listen, but I think a lot of Hawk fans, especially some of the newer generation of Hawk fans have kind of presumed that the quote game has changed and hitting is no longer really part of the game. And I, I, I have a very strong opinion about this because um, I think that what this has shown in microcosm over the last few games is that it very much is part of the game. But I'm going to turn this over to you guys. And, and uh, you know, there's this other thing, too, that, you know, there's – and it's true that high hit counts. You know, if, you're, if you get a lot of hits in a game, that means you're chasing the puck a lot and you're not possessing the puck. And that is true. But high hit counts is not the sum total of physicality in a hockey game. Um, and and I'm, so I'm going to let you guys open up on this one. Uh, Ray. About three years ago, the Hawks were the easiest team to play against. They had no physicality. Um, they weren't tough in the corners. Anybody could plant themselves in front. There's still a need for it, you know, and it's not the olden days where you have just the guy that can fight or guy that has no skill that can throw his weight around. It, it, has, to, it has to be a skilled physicality now. I mean, you, you, you think back to guys that like maybe a Bickle or a Brower or a Bufflin, you know, some guys that had some skill, had other things that they can do, but they were still tough to play against. And that was something I, I was preaching three years ago was that, man, you know, the teams would walk into the United Center, they'd beat up on the Hawks, and they didn't have to shower before they got on the bus and went and, and flew back home because they didn't do anything. The Hawks didn't touch them, they didn't lay a hand on them. They were easy to play against, um, you know. And that's where as a door off, you know, which, I mean, that hit was, you know, I mean, you just didn't see it coming. Um, you know, so, I mean, it, it's stuff like that that, you still have to be able to play the game of hockey as well. So I think that's where that skill part, where the, the skilled guys are, are still going to be your skilled players. Your physical guys don't have to be huge, enormous players anymore, but they have to be able to have other skills. It can't just be the only thing they could do because guys are going to skate around it. And we see that yep. with Zadorov a, a lot when he gets beat to the outside or he gets beat to a puck, that there's still some skilled guys that he can't catch. So for me, you have to have that physicality. And we're just talking about regular season. I mean, I throw it in the playoffs, you have to have it because every inch of the ice is you have to earn that inch. Um, but when you're talking about even in during the regular season, you can't just have small guys out there. 
but those small guys still win hockey games, you know, defensemen that can move the puck uh, forwards that can, you know, <laughs> beat defensemen uh, with their feet and still have guys that can score a goal. So the physicality to me now is not so much that you have to be running everybody, you have to cross check guys in the back of the head after whistles. It's about being in front of the net and being in the corners. And, and that's where you saw Tampa Bay the other day, in the last two games, and they got a little, they might've got a little bit too chirpy for my liking. Um, but you know, that, that physicality in the corners and, and in, in front of that's still very important in today's, today's game. Sean. I think there's, there's a difference between physicality and there's a misinterpretation of the word, I think with younger fans. Um, I think they determine physicality as fighting as the Rafi Torres hitting Marion Hosa, the Rafi Torres type players. That's not what physicality is. Like Ray said, physicality is winning puck battles, laying a body on, checking people, but not hitting them in the head. And that's another issue I think that people have, are so focused on, concussions. Concussions have been so focused on as of recently, which is, which is well and good and should be because head injuries are a huge part of sports. But now everybody assumes when somebody gets checked that they're instantly hitting them in the head and instantly a dirty call, which isn't the case. But everyone's quick to react saying that's dirty and, and somebody should fight them. And, and that's not the case. So I think we need to, the term physicality needs to be rebranded for the younger generation. Like, um, like Ray said, players like Bickle and Bauer, Brower and Bufflin and Andrew Ladd, guys who could play, like they played with their body and they went in the corner and they won puck battles. That's physicality. Um, I was watching some of the Capitals or Rangers game. They said the Capitals were just hitting, were just, laying the body more because the Rangers played an afternoon game the day before because they were tired. So they used their physicality to wear down the Rangers who were already worn down from the game before. So that's, that's what physicality is. It's not, yes. Was the Ryan Carpenter fight fun to watch when he laid, I can't remember the guy's name. He laid him out, but that's not what we're talking in terms of physicality. That's, that's not fighting. Isn't fighting. Isn't physicality. I mean, it is, but it's not the, the general term. So I think JJ froze, Andy. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, the bottom line is you want to, you need to be tough to play against, you know? And I mean, and, and if you're, if you're playing against the Blackhawks and you, you look out on the ice and, you know, Ian Mitchell or Boquist, if you're a forward, Ian Mitchell or Boquist are the defensemen out there, you know, you're not exactly fearing for your life when you bring the puck into the Blackhawks zone. You know, when Zadorov's out there right now, you got one eye on the play that you want to make and you got the other eye on him. You know, you want to know where he is at all times because he might, you know, lay the boom on you. And I think that the whole physicality piece, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you, Sean. The definition perhaps should change or just should be called tough hockey. Um, you know, I, I, it got really old watching Barrett Jackman chase Taves around and cross-check him five times in the back after every whistle. Um, and you know, while I certainly don't condone that, I mean, having guys that are tough to play against is, is critical and any cup team has them. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned some of them, Sean, I mean, Bickle 2013, the idea as the series went on against Boston was dump the puck into the corner where Chara is and make sure Bickle's the first guy there every time. Same thing with Pronger and Bufflin in 2010 and that line of, uh, you know, Kruger and Desjardins and Shaw in 2015 those guys were a pain 
you know, they were just brutal to play against. So it can't just be this collection of, uh, of finesse guys. And, um, and so I, you know, Zadorov, what he brings, he brings a really good element. Um, you know, obviously I hated the trade when it first happened. I'm still not thrilled about it, but, you know, he's certainly, certainly a part of, uh, of the team right now that isn't much needed, uh, that they definitely had to have around. So, um, you know, I'm regurgitating a lot of what you guys already said, but, but just being difficult to play against, don't be easy to play against, you know, play tough, play tough, play hard, play physical and, uh, and let it, let the chips fall where they may. This is a really good conversation. And, and I think we're talking, we're bringing up some interesting players from the Hawks present and from their past. And, you know, I think there has been a, a, a definition of physical hockey that it's guys like Rafi Torres or going back into the, the way back machine, Brian Marchment, or even Zadorov, who's, who obviously has some mobility issues. Um, but, you know, I mean, a guy like that, I mean, Dustin Bufflin has some lateral mobi- mobility issues and fast forwards could give him problems, you know, in, in, when he's going backward. But, you know, there's a guy who really impacted hockey games, not just with his physicality, but with his skill. And I think there's a tendency among some Hawk fans to kind of say, well, yeah, we can have these a lot of small finesse guys as long as we have a couple of big bruisers around. But the problem is those big bruisers have been guys like Brandon Bolig and John Scott and – um, you know, uh, Zach Smith, et cetera, guys who really um, are guys who are real liability skating a regular shift. And I think fans either forget or just weren't aware, for example, of guys like Brian Campbell. Because Brian Campbell, in a lot of people's estimation, was a finesse player. But you know what? Brian Campbell laid some dudes out. I mean, there's a – you go um, on YouTube and you look for a hit, uh, Campbell R.J. Umberger. Dude, I mean – that was a brutal hit and it was clean. It was clean, you know, and, and uh, it was a lot like the Zadorov hit. And, um, you know, or, or another guy that uh, did that a lot was Nicholas Jalmerson. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nicholas Jalmerson, you know, was seen as the defensive defenseman's defensive defenseman. And, but, and he could occasionally pitch in a goal, but Nicholas Jalmerson also could absolutely flatten people. And the reality of it is, is you're not going out there trying to hurt people per se or win the hit war per se. But Andy, I mean, you just said it. That's exactly it. Is when guys are coming in to your to your zone with their heads down or looking for their buddies, and and they they don't have their heads up and thinking about you. You that's a that is a competitive disadvantage in a game. You're letting those guys come across your blue line with speed and and with creativity. But if they're thinking about you more so than their teammates, they they're gonna think twice, and that's a disadvantage for them. And that's what those kind of hits do. And you know. Honestly, like in a playoff series also, exactly. I mean, the, the, um, the Char example in 2013 and the, the Pronger example in, in 2010. I mean, when you've, when you've got those defensemen back there and they're really thinking twice before they make that first pass about getting mashed by a Dustin Bufflin at 275 pounds and can skate like the wind. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, those are things that really impact NHL games because the bottom line is, it is a contact sport. It's not going to change. What's happened is, is that the players have gotten a lot faster and the officiating as far as clutching and grabbing has taken some of that out of it. So, but, but the hitting is still there. And that's part of the reason also is that when there are big hits, guys are getting hurt because of the speed and the size of the players, but there, I don't th- I don't ever foresee them taking that out of the game beyond maybe um, having much, much more significant penalties if the hit is not with the shoulder. 
Um, Zadorov's hit was the shoulder to the chest. I mean, it was textbook, nothing wrong with it. It was just a big physical hockey hit. And I think that for the Hawks, they need guys, Andy, you said it. They need guys who can play that, that style of hockey, but who can also have the skill to contribute, join the play, and contribute skating a regular shift. Not just some big dummy who, who throws hits. That's not what we're talking about. Unfortunately, that type of player, and they're out there. There's still a lot of them. Um, but the, but they're, they've become a little few and far between in the league. And I think it's because there are a lot more small players in the league now than used to be. Um, but the Hawks, they've got more than their share of small players. And I think they do need some guys, not just who are big guys to throw the body and that's it, but they need some guys with some skill who, who can. And the other thing is the whole, the other aspect of physical we're talking about is the Marion Hosa, Brandon Saad, Jonathan Taves, you know, you're not getting this puck away from me because I'm going to keep my body between you and the puck and you can do whatever you want. You can hang on me. You can beat on me. I'm taking the puck to the net. You're not stopping me. They need some of that too. And that's physicality in the NHL too. And you, you really need, especially in the playoffs. Um, so I'm going to keep this one going. What do you, you guys have any other thoughts on this? Yeah. Like um, uh, when you just said Marion House, I instantly think of when he's, he was skating and had his one hand off his stick, literally holding the guy back as he would go to the net. And then Andy, like Andrew Desjardins, guys like that, like, like Des, like grinders, like they had a grind line at Dave Bolin. It was Dave Bolin, Christopher Stieg, and uh, I think Shaw at one point, it was a grind line. Those guys were all, they weren't huge guys, but they played physical. Yeah. But, well, yeah. And it's positional too. I mean, right. I, like when Fro Leak was on the ice, it was very yeah. difficult for opposing teams to get into the Blackhawks zone. Yep. Because of how he played in, in, in the neutral zone and the angles that he took. I mean, it, it is all of that, you know, I mean like Chara, Chara had a good start to the 2013 Stanley cup finals and then ended up minus nine. Once, uh, once they started making sure that Bixie was on the same side of the ice as he was, they just kept dumping it into that corner and said, make him handle the puck with this train coming at him. Yeah. I mean, Bickle and, and that I, I honestly thought in those playoffs because Bickle scored a lot of big goals in those playoffs too. Yeah. yeah I, he had, thought, I think he had the most goals. Didn't he have 10 or 11? I think. Yeah. That I honestly there. thought he could, he could contend for the, for the con smite. I thought know, he but, Yeah. It was, he was always in the right place at the right when they needed a big goal. Brian Bickle usually scored it in that playoff yeah. series. You know, it's interesting too, because, um, in 2009, in the in the Western Conference Finals, you guys will remember um, Nicholas Cronwall threw a really dirty hit on Marty Hovlot and knocked him out of the playoffs and, you know, may have actually really negatively impacted the rest of Hovlot's career. That was a nasty hit. I mean, the dude was out cold right there on the ice. I mean, it was ugly. And you know, Cronwall was famous for, you know, raising the elbow, skates leaving the ice. And, you know, Detroit fans used to used to proudly call it getting Cronwalled. The guy was a complete coward. He would throw those kinds of hits to hurt guys. And then he would never answer when somebody came after him. And uh, interestingly enough, in that 2013 semifinal against them, um, the conference semifinal, I believe, uh, against Detroit, um, Bickle lined Cronwall up against the, uh, the, the, the backboard one and just destroyed him. <laughs> just absolutely destroyed him. And, you know, again, I mean, that sounds kind of meatballish, but you know what? Cronwall was not a factor ever in that series after that. And 
Um, I just remember guys like Corey Perry getting just destroyed by Dustin Bufflin and never being a factor against the Hawks for a whole season. Um, those things matter that, you know, they really do. Cause it is a physical game and those hits hurt. Yeah. Um, I, so go ahead. Uh, when Bufflin knocked Pronger off his feet Yeah. and, uh, and I think it was, was it game three? It was, it might've been game five. It was, it was game five. I was there. Yeah, yeah. I was there too, actually. Yeah. And the place just went in and it was a clean hit. It was physical. And the, yeah, it was just too, it was, yeah, it, it, it didn't, it fired everybody up, but that's what you need. Like yeah. we have smallish forwards and we've had them since ever since that ill-fated Nashville series, when the last time they, they got swept by Nashville, that's Nashville just did that to the Hawks. And then the, the overreaction was to get rid of everybody. Was that the series when they got swept and Stan Bowman stood up and said that it was unacceptable and then that became the norm for the yes. next four years? Yes. I'm, yes. I'm sorry, yes. I just wanted to... And then we moved out to Panarin for yeah. Brandon Saad and right. oh, okay. shipped yeah. out Nicholas Jalmerson. Wanted to make sure. 2017, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's really, um, again, I think, I think the reason that, there's, that, that fans, especially today, don't understand this as well is because the game has gotten so fast. The officiating of the clutching and grabbing has changed. And, um, you know, I, I think the league also has, has tried to clamp down on the, uh, you know, the head injuries, with, and rightly so. But the, the, this aspect of the game is still there. And, and again, I'm not here to, to, to bash Dan Bowman tonight, but for some reason, Bowman has, for the last several years, he's gone for those smaller skilled players and avoided you know, what we like to call the all-terrain forwards, you know, um, who, who play that style of, of game, but still have skill. Um, and uh, I think when he started drafting Kirby, Kirby Doc and um, Alex Vlasic last year, I think he was, and he kind of said it, that, you know, he recognized that they needed more you know, of those bigger, more physical players and that they hadn't really taken them the last few years, which is good. That's what you want your GM to do. All GMs make mistakes, but the good ones correct them, you know, and, and, uh, so it'll be well, interesting he's also to been see going forever. Or... So I mean, he's yeah, had well, time. Pardon to me. Him. He's also been a re- good GM. Sure. Generally yeah. correct him, or they're out of a job unless you're Stan Bowman. Right. Well, I'm sure after watching right. Riley or Raya, uh, what's his name? Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly win the Con Smythe in 2019. It was time to go. Okay. Maybe we yeah, need some. All those kind of the <laughs> all those big uh, St. Louis defensemen and their their strong four centermen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, I that's it. O'Reilly's a really good example because he's kind of the antithesis of, you know, the 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 classic hawk forward of the last five years. He's big, he's slow, he's all effort and grind and not not flashy, but man, is he effective, you know. I think they wish Andy's guy Dylan Strom would turn into Ryan O'Reilly, but <laughs> I'd be a show without Dylan Strom. Oh boy. Yeah, I think I'm not, go there, I'm not gonna go there tonight. Congratulations. Congratulations on having a child on his family edition. I will take yeah. it easy on him. The yeah, new, baby, new baby girl. Very exciting for the Strom household. It's awesome. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. That's classy, classy move, Andy. We appreciate that. <laughs> so we had a question tonight, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go jump to that. Do you guys wanna wanna uh, put a bookmark on this one, or do you guys wanna talk about it anymore? Uh, the question, or what we were just talking about? Physicality. Physicality. I'm good. I can. Yeah, I'm good. Good. <laughs> good discussion yeah we won't fight each other it's, it's good no i think it's good and we may we may revisit at some point and we may we may get some questions next week um those that listen tonight or comments or protestations we'll see 
But uh, so we had a question and I'm gonna pull that up. If you'll give me a moment. Okay, um, just one question. And this is from Craig Carlson, Skybone 404, one of our regular listeners and, and questioners. Um, and this was our math question. And uh, we, we first of all, all of us tried to run from it because we're all bad at math. But then uh, Sean kind of saved us. So if, if it doesn't go well, we'll blame Sean. Okay. Uh, here's the question. With all the talk about the Hawks having, quote, mil- quote, having millions in free cap space available, unquote, what could they realistically do with it? Considering it's all LTIR money and they have to be compliant the first day of each season. So they can't really take multi-year contracts of dead money or can they? Question mark. So, Sean, you brought up the fact or somebody brought up the fact that um, uh, they, you know, they have they do have all this LTIR, excuse me, LTIR money that they can fulfill this year, which means they can take on a lot of money in expiring contracts for the rest of the year. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. They can take on, you have to be camp cap compliant the first day of the regular season next year. So they have, according to our friends at Puckpedia, $25,211,306 in cap LTIR space. So theoretically, if they wanted to take on like an, like a expiring contract with a high cap hit this year, they could. Um, the only thing they would do is they would, the reason you would do that is for the sweetener with it, whatever you like, whether it's draft picks or something like that to help another team out in that regard. It's similar to what the Hawks did um, when they traded uh, Brian Bickle to Carolina, they threw in Tavo Teravine as a sweetener, but also it's similar to um, Cody Franzen. Uh, When Cody Franzen signed his PTO with the Blackhawks, the Hawks didn't have enough money to sign Franzen until after the first day of the season, because then they put, uh, I can't remember who they put on LTIR. They put someone on LTIR and then they were able to sign Franzen on day one. So that's, that's kind of what the logistics of it, the move are. So here's my thing about that. And this, this kind of goes back to a topic we had uh, either last week or the week before where we were talking about their trade deadlines strategy. And there's this um, theory out there and I want to, I, I hope I'm getting it right, but that it, it is that, the Hawks would take on uh, this massive expiring contract from somebody or maybe not expiring. And the other team, the team trading that, that contract to the Hawks in return for the Hawks doing them a financial favor would send the Hawks some asset that they could, that the Hawks could use for the future. But my thing is, is if it is an expiring contract, which really that's what the Hawks, that's all the Hawks should be taking on. The Hawks should not be taking on a long-term bad contract. That makes no sense. But if they take out an expiring contract this year, just to, 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 so some team can save some money this year, how much is a team going to give the Hawks to do that? You know, what do you guys think? It depends who they are and depends what their situation is, I guess. I mean, if they've got, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of some, you know, possible examples of some bad contracts that people want to unload. I can't think of any off the top of my head right now, but. You know, if someone's if someone's in a cup run and you know they're they're a contender and they really want to dump someone to take on, that's true. You know, if if you want to drop a seven million dollar salary, yeah, try to do it early to trade it off to someone like the Hawks, and then you've got a little bit more cap space to make a few other moves to make a run. There might be some there. That Um, makes sense. 
And the other thing that we also have that the expansion draft coming up. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know. We still don't know who's going to be protected. Um, and yeah. the, you know, the Hawks might lose a decent contract off of that. I don't know if they protect Calvin DeHaan, who knows, but yeah. um, you know, we'll, we'll see, but there might be money coming off the books there too. So with an ex, if they're, if they're able to get an expiring contract and uh, with some of the ones that are already going to come off the books as is they'll have a little money to play with. It won't be a, you know, they won't be going out spending 20, 20 million bucks, but, right. uh, but they still might be able to chip away. So we'll see. Yeah. That idea of them taking on somebody's bad contract to open cap space for that teams to that team, right. To make a move at the deadline. That makes sense. Um, so that, so then they might get a decent sweetener if, yeah. if, if a team was trying to do that. Yeah. yeah I, I, that. It would have to be a team that thought they were pretty close. I mean, I don't right. think in the first rounder right now you might, um, but then I, I think it also has to be an organizational thing too. If I'm going to take on, millions more um you know is that something that's got to come from up above you know maybe it's more than just the general manager it's going to say i'm going to take on some more money when i don't have players in the stands and i'm not or fans in the stands and i'm not selling jerseys yeah well also you know, too it's it, a full contract but it's still yeah. going to be millions you know but yeah. if i'm getting yeah. something back to say it'll be, be prorated yeah it'll be prorated and it's based on their cap number so technically like they're like no somebody's to... contract could be five million dollar cap hit, but maybe they're only making nine hundred seventy four thousand dollars for the rest of this year. But look at this. So really, what that comes down to in terms of like the actual equation is, if I'm a team that's that's a a cup contending team, and I'm I'm tight to the cap, but I want to get that missing piece, um, and I the Blackhawks will take on an expiring contract worth say five, six, $7 million. Would I be willing as a cup contending team, knowing that my first round pick is going to be like say 25th, would I be willing to send that first round pick to Chicago to give me that five or $6 million of cap room, relatively speaking, non-prorated? Would I be willing to do that? You know, I might because a 25th pick overall, you know, that can be, that can be, uh, you know, Philip Deneau, or it could be Adam Monroe, who, you know, never did crap in the NHL, or it could be a really good player too. And I can't think of a great 25th pick off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are some. And I mean, and then for the Hawks, it, what it comes down to is you're looking at basically a million dollars in salary prorated of that five or 6 million, you know, it's like the last 15% of the season, basically for in return for a late first round pick, it kind of makes sense. I mean, because, because the Hawks need those assets. They still need those rebuilding assets. I mean, we've been talking about it for weeks. They've made progress this year, but they need more. They really do. They're not as close as some people would like to believe. And um, so, it, I don't know. It kind of does make sense. It's a little complicated and maybe a little bit down the, the, the pathway to uh, fantasy land. I don't know. Be- because it just seems to make a lot of sense, too. Well, and, and teams have weaponized their cap space before in the past. Um, right. They've, they've used it to like take on bad contracts to get more assets, like John was saying. But also teams have manipulated it to pay less money. Um, the Arizona Coyotes under John Chaka were kings of that. They took on Chris Pronger's deal when mm-hmm. his cap hit was, what, five, six million dollars. How about that, Paying him less than a million. So they saved that money. And they hit the floor. They did that yeah. with Marion Hosa and Pavel Datsuk. So they, yeah. they, you can manipulate it that way too. 
Um, so there are ways that the Hawks, it's just, is Stan Bowen willing to, to figure that out? And I mean, if he takes on a bad long-term expiring contract, but he knows like Ryan Carpenter's money's coming off the books or somebody else's money's coming off the books next year and he can get better assets and still keep that bad contract on the books next year. Why not? Sorry, I'm talking a lot, but yeah. Yeah, I mean the only the only way I think that makes the only way that makes sense I think is if they feel like this this bad bad contract player might have a little bit of a resurgence in Chicago somehow and the change of scenery thing. To me, it, it that see like what Arizona did is Arizona took on long term deals with big money attached to them and just basically said these guys are on our books; they're never going to play for us, and they never did. The Hawks are not in that position. They're not. A, they're not technically a floor team, except you know maybe this year because they have all this LTIR, LTIR space. But they don't. I don't think the Hawks want to keep around anybody, you know, who's, who's quote unquote a bad, somebody else's bad contract. That's just my opinion. I don't. I don't think they do. So what do you guys think, Andy, Ray? What do you guys think? And, and that's what I was leading towards. That if it if it's not an expiring contract, you're just not going to do it. You know, you're going to. If you're going to go above it with the long-term injury reserve, it's got to be an organizational thing. You've got to be okay going over a certain amount. How much money do I want to be going out? If it's this year and it's prorated, I get that. But it still has to be an organizational thing where, hey, are we, is it prorated to a certain amount? What it is? Are we getting a fourth-round pick? Is it going to be worth it in the long run? Stuff along those lines. If you're giving me a first-round pick, yeah, absolutely. I'll open up the checkbook for you because the Hawks were doing that. They'd give up the 25th pick or the 30th pick because who cares right. if it works out and you win a Stanley right. Cup. So, yeah. um, you know, that's the biggest thing for me is that the organization's got to want to do it. You know, right. Stan's got to want to say, hey, we'll take on some of this, but it has to be expiring contracts. I can't imagine why right. it, it would it would just have to be com- just completely floor me if you say I'm going to take on a long uh, contract that's bad. No, can't do that. Right. Well, I mean <laughs> – you can, they, that might be something that the Hawks do just because that's what they do sometimes. But, you know, but you know, I, I, I totally agree. It has to be an expiring deal. Um, and there has to be something else coming along with that. Right. I mean, you know, they don't have to do anything. Um, right. you know, they don't have to take on someone's bad contract if they don't want to. I, I actually, I mean, you know, with the trade deadline coming up, I still think that the Blackhawks, the way that they've surprised some, some people this year with their play, that they do have movable assets that could get, decent returns i mean i i you know second round picks go a long way if you can get a second round pick some somehow in in a deal that would include you know someone like yanmark if it could be something like soderberg is on the move and you can get something that high you got to pull the trigger on that i mean yeah. second second round picks are the duncan keith's dave bolands of the world you know I alex to bring it alex to bring it brandon sod those are Corey crawford oh, no Corey crawford's first round or, sorry those are those are really good lottery tickets you know for for guys that are not long-term fixtures in chicago or won't be you know so i still think you know i the one that i'm really curious about is, is what to do with calvin dehan um that that's that's the player where i'm just you, you kind of think about it and you go man is that is that someone who might be worth moving? Are they going to protect him this summer or not? And if not, do you move him? He still has uh, another year left on his contract. He could be to a cup contender. He could be anywhere between four and six as a defenseman. Um, And he plays a really hard nosed game. You know, you look at some of those uh, teams in the Canadian divisions that in the Canadian division that might be really going for it, like a Toronto or an Edmonton, they could field some calls on that and they might be willing to throw, 
you know, throw some decent value back. So it should be really curious to see what happens. They're uh, at the trade deadline every year. There's a market for Calvin DeHaan type players right. every year. And, you know, the thing about him is, and, and this may be the Hawks calculus. I mean, he's had a, a healthy year this year, right. but he hasn't had a lot of healthy years the last few years. And, and there's a rumor that, you know, his, he's got a, he's got a very wonky shoulder and the shoulder is not, you know, hundred percent healed and may never be. And the Hawks may look at that and say, you know, now's the time to do it. I think, I think at the beginning of the year, it was kind of, you, you're, you're like, well, he's your second best defenseman. Why would you get rid of him? But I think now, I mean, Connor Murphy has kind of continued to, to grow and mature and become a more consistent player. And, uh, you know, Zadorov, as of the last couple of games, People are going, ah, you know, maybe in spite of this guy's flaws, you keep him around because he does have some value in, in, in doing what he's been doing the last couple of days, games. And uh, uh, you maybe DeHaan does become sp- dispensable at the deadline. I still feel like, though, if the Hawks are even within sniffing distance of a, of a playoff spot, they're not going to move somebody like DeHaan at the deadline. I don't think so. No, they won't. They, they, they want to get in. They yep, want. Yep. And they're going to be looking for another forward. There, I'm. I'm nervous that they're still going to be kicking at the door come trade deadline time, and they're going to try and figure out how they could bring in another forward that can play in their top six or top nine. Um, and I'm not talking somebody off the. You know, you don't have to be too great to play in your top six right now. Top nine. I think it's going to be that player where they're going to say. And it might be maybe DeHaan going a, a different direction and, and it brings back a, a top nine forward. Uh, <laughs> if they did nothing at the trade deadline, I, I would be happy, but I'm still nervous. Yeah. They're, they're, they're looking at that forward position and saying, okay, now we've got Doc. If we could bring in another forward, we got five of six and we feel better about our seven, eight, nine. I, I'm a little nervous about that. Well, that's, that's a nightmare scenario. Yeah. yeah. And, that also, and that also begs, like, I mean, that, the, the road that you're going on right there, Ray, which I totally agree with, also brings up that question of the rate at which they brought Doc back, you know, and let's get him back. Let's make a run at this thing, you know, and, and maybe maybe you're right. Maybe they do want to add. But what what do you what do you send along? I mean, I know that's that's what I'm saying. It might be DeHaan going back or it might right. be, I mean, I don't uh, somebody that maybe believes in Ian Mitchell going the other way. But uh, I just do that here and he's not going anywhere. But. Um, you know, that's something where maybe if there is an asset where it's a little bit more of an even trade, you're not giving up something that you thought was going to be a big part of the future yeah. for, that, for that guy that you could throw in that top six, top nine. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I'm the, I just, I just question, I think with the Hawks, if the Hawks were really going to try to add for the playoffs, they need a, they need a, a center who's 50% plus big body. And I don't know if Calvin DeHaan gets you that at the trade deadline. Um, unless, unless again, it's a team with a really acute need on D and, and, a, and a surplus of centers, but other teams need those guys at the playoffs too. You know? So I, mean, I, I yeah, I just, I really hope that wiser hockey minds throw on a, you know, just to, let's just stream one of the games against the lightning and be like, Stan, we're not there yet. Please don't do anything. Well, they lose tonight, <laughs> maybe lose four or five more in a row. You know, yeah. you can start, Start to put the... then we we stay with the rebuild model yeah. as opposed to abandoning it because John we Mark and DeHaan and some guys maybe get tossed out. So yeah, but I mean, if if you if you could move a couple of those parts, you know, the Soderberg or you know or or Yanmark yeah. and actually admit to yourself that we're not there right now, you could you could stockpile some pretty decent picks. Yep, and yep. and that is you know that is 
that's having that's assets in themselves when you go into the draft just having those parts to play with or another name comes along that a team is wanting to deal or use some picks to move up in the draft i mean the draft picks are so great Uh, yeah i totally agree a lot of tickets yeah that's how they should be thinking i and i andy i think you're i think you're right and and ray i think you're right to be concerned that they're not thinking that that they're thinking short term and because i feel like i feel like and, and i feel like it's part of the reason they, they may have rushed doc back a little bit is because they're so desperate to create this feel good we're on the way back narrative which there's nothing wrong with that but the problem is i think they're trying to create the impression that it's like right now and and, and right now and next year when really they should be looking two three four years out they really should be i mean maybe maybe two years out but but this year, next year, I th- if you're not thinking that this is rebuilding and transition and re- and then, you know, adding those pieces in over the next couple of years, um, again, you're just you're just kind of it's like crack. It's it's a short term high, and it, it you're gonna you're gonna burn some things out, and you're gonna lose some you're gonna lose some opportunities to really rebuild. And rebuilding this year makes sense because there's no guarantee that they're gonna get fans in the stands at all. So why wouldn't you have a lesser product on the ice at home when nobody's there and you're not counting on ticket sales anyways? Not happening this year. <laughs> right. And then no next, next year, if you, if you, maybe they, they brought Kirby doc back to try to get people excited because people season tickets are still available and you got to buy them for next year. And, yeah. and then that's what they're trying to boost that number. It's all about the when the fans come back and the money starts coming back. Yep. Totally agree. Well, guys, I think we've beaten this to death tonight. Um, <laughs> oh, wait, I got to cut Ray off show. more. And I think we've had some great um, – pardon me? I'm kidding. I, sorry, I think I cut Ray off a bunch tonight, so I just wanted to make that joke. I, I didn't even know. Ray looks pissed, too. So. Get it right past me. I didn't even notice you did that, Sean. <laughs> I, sh- I need to be tougher in the corners. I let you go right by. I didn't even notice. There it is. You were the door off. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't catch him. <laughs> yeah. One, uh, one last plug. Um, yeah. Uh, Wyatt Kaiser had a hell of a night last night with the UMD Bulldogs. And uh, I don't know if any of you stayed up for that game. I stayed up for the whole thing, um, which is why I, I keep rubbing my eyes. But um, that, that kid, we're, we're going to need to keep an eye on that kid. That third round pick from last year. Um, you know, straight, straight out of high school, Mr. Hockey in Minnesota yeah, and had a hell of a night. UMD Bulldogs are back in the frozen four outside of Alabama football. I really don't think there's a more impressive program in college sports than university of Minnesota Duluth hockey right now. Um, they're on, they're unbelievable. And, um, so quick plug, uh, for that game, that win, uh, and, and Kaiser and also Josiah Slavin got his first pro goal tonight. Of course I had to throw yeah. that in. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when they drafted Kaiser. There were some people saying that that look out for him. He's he's a sleeper, you yeah. know. And uh, you know, anybody who ends up being Mister Hockey in Minnesota, there's a good chance that that, that guy's going to be a pretty good player, especially if they can skate, you know, at, at the higher levels. Um, well, Nick Letty, I believe, that, was a was a Mister Hockey. That, being an 18 year old defenseman in that conference is very very young. Yeah, and he's and he's doing pretty well. I mean, I think UMD. You know, most of their most of their roster are you know guys in their young 20s. And, um, you know, who've played a lot of junior hockey and for him to make that jump and do it so well, that kid's got a future. We should, uh, put a bookmark that kid. He's going to be good. That's awesome. 
Good stuff. So um, I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, we've had a, a pretty full uh, over an hour tonight um, talking about these topics. We will probably revisit at the very least the uh, the physicality topic, and we'll certainly revisit the trade deadline again. That's becoming almost like a, a you know a weekly thing for us. Um, I want to thank uh, the usual suspects: Andy Campbell, Sean Fitzgerald, Ray Napientek. You can find us all on the Twitter um, and follow all of our uh, rank accounts. I know Gabe would like me to plug that and. Uh, um, uh, well, I'd like to thank our sponsor, PuckHockey.com, P-U-C-K-H-C-K-Y.com. Hats, jerseys, shirts, hoodies, the whole nine yards. Flannels, um, baseball 10%, Yep, 10% off with T-H-E-R-I-N-K discount code. Go buy some stuff, man. You'll, you'll, you will be happy to become addicted to puck hockey like we have. Um, so for Sean Fitzgerald, Andy Campbell, Reed Nippy Antuck, and the rest of the Rink family. Um, uh, good night. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the Rink.